Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. We will uh, go ahead and get started tonight. We want to take a moment and just welcome everybody out. I appreciate everybody coming out on this very chilly, very windy night. I was, it's funny, I was, uh, um, Alex and I, Pastor Alex and I were talking in the office the other day, and he, he, made, he made mention, he goes, man, he goes, it, it seems like this year the wind ain't blowing. I said, just hang on, hang on, and here it comes, man. I saw, I looked on the uh, online weather, and it was saying we were having gusts up to 52 miles an hour. That's pretty windy. Yeah, 37 degrees, so that wind chill is, is down a little bit too, so I imagine it, it's, uh, it's something. want to take a moment and welcome everybody that's joining us online. We're glad that you're joining us tonight, and so we're going to begin a new Bible study tonight, and this is going to be three weeks long, so we'll have three classes in this Bible study. The title, I don't know if you remember, I told you last week at our worship night, I told you, I said, um, I was going to do a class, a series called What's More Important Than the Altar. And um, really, that sounds a lot more ominous than what it is. But I really do believe that this, uh, this class is going to really help us. And, you know, the uh, last series that I did in church on Sunday, I, did, uh, I, I spoke to you about personalizing the vision. And one of the things that I talked about in that sermon, one of the messages was uh, restoring the altar. And I talked to you about the importance of the altar. And one of the things that, that I have noticed over the years is that as Christianity has progressed through the last uh, couple decades, there seems, to be, there seems to be a departure from uh, our understanding um, and particularly our participation at the altar. And so the altar is something that I believe is extremely important. Now, having said that, I, I will tell you that I don't believe the altar is something that's located at the front of a church. Um, it can be. You can make an altar here. But I, all, I believe more importantly, the altar is that place that you've made in your heart where you do business with God. Because if you look through the Word of God and you look, especially if you take time to read in the Old Testament the the the, the books like Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, those, those books, you'll find that in those books, uh, there's a lot said about doing stuff at the altar. This, this was a part of their service to the Lord. And the altar was a sacred, holy place. That's because that's where they did business with God. So it's very important. So tonight, when you think about this and you say, well, what could be more important than the altar? Well, there's a particular scripture that we're going to read that just blows my mind, and it's our text that's going to kind of launch us into this whole series. And I want you to listen to this because I believe this speaks something to us. It tells us something about the heart of God. So in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21, and I'm, I'm reading from the Lou. New Living Translation, going to verse 24. It says, You have heard that the law of Moses says, Do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, 
you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the high council. <laughs> that We ought to pause on that one. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now this passage, like I said, has always captured my attention because <coughs> it seems to indicate that there are things more important than the altar. We know, as I said earlier, that the altar is a significant place in the economy of God. We know that the altar is a place of personal righteousness. The altar is a place of personal dedication. The altar is a place of personal sacrifice. It's a, it's a place of worship. It's where intimacy is birthed. The altar is a place of relationship. It's where our relationship with God is really hammered out. It's at the altar. Can you say amen? <clears throat> but right here in the middle of this passage, we read something that Jesus says that is, to me, extremely amazing. He says, if you are standing before the altar in the temple. So where's the temple nowadays? The temple is us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, aren't we? And if you're before the altar, if you are doing business with God, offering a sacrifice to God, and you suddenly remember, I love the fact that he uses that word suddenly, because it's like you're, you know, you're there praying, you're doing business with God, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, Bobby really got under my skin, you know, or, or whatever it is. It's suddenly you remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come offer your sacrifice to God. Amazingly, we know this evening that our relationship with God is important, but Jesus is putting tremendous weight on our relationship with others <clears throat> and how those relationships are working out. Can you say amen? This isn't something we can ignore. You know, I talk to a lot of people all the time that want God to move in their lives. People come to me on a regular basis with questions like, you know, I've been praying for a while now. Why isn't this answered? I've been praying and I've been believing God. I've been reading the Word. I've been fasting. I've been doing all the things that the Word teaches me to bring about a change in the condition of what's going on in my life, but things aren't seeming to get done. It doesn't seem to work. Why? Well, I can tell you that one of the largest reasons why things get hindered in the kingdom of God is because there has been a breakdown in relationship with our fellow man, Amen. with our brethren, with the people around us. I'm not saying that God's up in heaven folding his arms going, I'm not going to do anything for you. What I'm saying is how we treat our brethren is extremely important for the flow of the kingdom of God in our life. Can you say amen? 
And we want that. We want God to move. We want the supernatural. We want prayers answered. We want salvations. We want God to do things in our life. And he's saying here right now in this scripture, he says, if you're coming before me at the altar and you're doing business with me and you suddenly remember you have something between you and another, leave your gift, leave your sacrifice, Leave what you're doing at the altar and go get that worked out first, then come back to the altar. I don't think that's something that can be ignored. Can you say amen? I think a lot of times in Christianity that it is very easy to sweep relational issues under the carpet. And I don't think that's good. And I think it is hindering a lot of people. We can sweep them under the carpet because we have the advantage of time passing. When time passes, we tend to get forgetful, don't we? We kind of lose the sting of everything. We kind of come to a place where it's like, oh, that don't matter anyway. But the reality is that place in our life that is undone is affecting us. Can you say amen? And this is what I believe he's saying. See, our relationship with God is important, but amazingly, our relationships with one another are equally as important. See, this passage is found right in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing here is he is literally turning everything upside down. He is dealing with relationships never been dealt with before, both with God and with man. One of the things that we can conclude very easily right at the beginning is that what's happening in my relationship with others is absolutely affecting what's happening in my relationship with God. Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar. So my sacrifice to God, my encounter with God is for a period of time, a moment, put on hold while that gets worked out. Are you seeing that? That's important. We need to, we need to see this. Relationships tonight are at the heart of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible, is about relationship. How we function in relationship with God and man is paramount to our Christian walk. It's the context for everything. It doesn't matter if it's evangelism or discipleship or growth and maturity, marriage, parenting, integrity, building a church, and the list can go on and on. All of them, are they all operate in the context of relationship. Are you hearing that? And no doubt... <clears throat> this evening, that our relationship with God is significantly important, but the Bible puts lots of emphasis on our relationship with one another and that they do affect each other. Can you say amen? Now, I want you to consider what our text is telling us. He's telling us when we go to worship, See, we don't bring sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament anymore. We're, we're not bringing bulls and goats and lambs and all of that. We're not making sacrifice for sin. 
But we do come to the altar, and we do offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We do offer the sacrifice of worship. We offer our own lives as a sacrifice in obedience. Amen? And he says, when you're coming, this is an important part of your relationship with God. And he says that you have to be right with your neighbor so that you can appropriately apply the sacrifice. So that you can actually walk in that. Now look at I am not trying to make something out of this in the sense of like, okay, everything, every little thing has to be, every little I has to be dotted and every little T has to be crossed. My assumption in this, when we look at the word suddenly, it would indicate to me that there was a conviction. That the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you've got a problem here. There's something that has gone haywire. There is something that is amiss. Pay attention to that. Don't ignore that. It is so amazing to me because I believe God does want us to go deeper with him. I believe God does want us to have more of him. I believe that God does want to bring out the supernatural and revival in all of these things. But much of the time, what hinders the process of God is because God is trying to work through the debris of broken relationships, old hurts, old wounds, unforgiveness. And that debris robs us of our ability to walk in a deep, and lasting connection with the Father, let alone the emotional torment that it brings to us. Can you say amen? So I know I'm taking a little bit of time here to to, uh, explain this to you, but I want to set this foundation that relationships are important. Are you hearing me? Because where where we're going next, we're going to move into the realm of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is huge in Christian living. We must learn to forgive those who have wronged us instead of letting bitterness take root in our hearts. It is so easy tonight, church, to let bitterness have access. It is so easy to allow bitterness to get a a foothold in our lives. Can you say amen? It's easy. It almost takes no effort. Have you noticed, those of you that may try to do gardening, have you noticed how easy it is for weeds to grow? Yeah. Try, you, 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 you're, you're hoping, you're praying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sow corn, and I'm going to have corn, and I can't wait till harvest. I'm going to have corn on the cob in the fall or whenever it's harvested. And you work and you labor and you work and you labor and you work and you labor. And every day it seems like you're always pulling more and more weeds. It almost is effortless to grow weeds in a garden. But it takes some time to grow corn, don't it? It takes some effort. And that's the same thing. See, bitterness is like a weed that grows with very little effort. And if you allow it, it will 
take over. Have you ever had a backyard get taken over by weeds? I've told you the stories before about my backyards. There's been times when my backyard has been nigh unto a jungle. You would have thought I was growing a rainforest in my backyard, how big the weeds were. I'm telling you, there was a time when the weeds had, they had trunks. They weren't just, I mean, they were like two inches around. They were six, eight foot tall weeds. It's like, how? It hadn't rained in eight months. How are you growing? I haven't fed you. I haven't nourished you. I've just left you alone. We must learn to forgive. Otherwise, bitterness will take root in our hearts, and it will stop us from doing great things with God. It will hinder our relationship with God. It will put hindrances in it. It will set us back. Without healthy relationship with one another, our relationship with God will be hindered. So in order to have healthy relationship with one another, we have to have a healthy, accurate understanding of forgiveness and what it does in our Christian lives. Can you say amen? In the end, when we bring about this forgiveness we begin to walk in the same vein that God's walking. I remember Jeff Adams, many of you remember, may remember him. He's in heaven now, but he said these words. He said, you know what? Oftentimes we say we're never more like God than when we're giving. And he says, I don't agree with that. He says, I, don't. He says, I think we're never more like God than when we're forgiving. That is the thing that we see about God is his grace and patience and mercy to forgive. Can you say amen? We don't deserve it. There's not a person in this room that's worthy of that kind of mercy and grace. None of us. We deserve exactly what we get, but we don't get what we deserve because we have a God that is forgiving. We need to walk in the likeness of our Father in that grace of forgiveness. Can you say amen? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 8. You know this is the love chapter, but something I want you to, uh, to, to notice because we know that God calls us to walk in love, but listen to what love is. It says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. And listen, it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. What is he saying there? He is giving a bird's eye view, if you will, of what forgiveness is really all about. (coughs) Forgiveness really does operate in the atmosphere of love. Forgiveness, see, like, my, I love my wife. I love her with all my heart. And there are times when we, our personalities, will bump our, our uh, we won't see eye to eye, or I will do something dumb, or, or whatever, and we have to forgive one another. Can you say amen? But it's out of that love. I love my wife. I truly love her, and through that love, 
there is this atmosphere of grace that forgives. Can you say amen? But God is calling us because you know what? I, to say, I'm going to say something that's going to be kind of sound a little controversial. Hear me out when I say this and please understand. I don't necessarily love everyone. I know, you go, what? What I mean by that is, of course, you love humanity. We love people. But there's some people I don't even know. So to say that I love them like I love my wife or my children or my friends, that, that would not be a true statement. So how, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, a person you've never met, how do you, in the atmosphere of love, listen, I don't love that guy. In fact, what I actually do is I really, really dislike him because he just cut me off in traffic. Well, it's not the atmosphere of my love for him. It's my atmosphere of my love for God. It's that atmosphere. It's where I say, you know what, God, because you loved me and because you forgave me before I was ever considering you. When, when you came and you died and paid a price so that I could be right with you. So you provided forgiveness when I wanted nothing to do with you. I'm going to follow your example, Lord, and I'm going to extend that same forgiveness to those in my life. See, forgiveness is about goodness. It's about extending mercy to those that have harmed us, even if they don't deserve it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. It says, let all bitterness, <clears throat> wrath, clamor, anger, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. We are to be like him. Can you say Amen. It's not about finding excuses for the offending, offending person's behavior or pretending it didn't happen. I'm not saying that we justify and go, oh, that's okay. It didn't hurt me. It wasn't no big deal. No, some things are a big deal. Amen? And it did hurt and it did offend. But nonetheless, what I do is I forgive. I forgive. I extend that forgiveness because it is what God would do. It's what he would have me do as a servant of God. Can you say amen? Now, there is no quick formula you can follow because forgiveness really is a process. It's a process that involves many steps that often proceeds slowly, sometimes difficultly, but in the end, it is worth the effort. Can you say amen? Forgiveness removes the relational debris that hinders our relationship with our Heavenly Father, which in turn hinders our understanding of who we are in Him. Forgiveness reverses all of the lies that you end up believing about yourself, lies that rob us of the peace that God has worked through salvation, and forgiveness reveals the truth that we are not defeated by others' unjust actions. Are you hearing me? How many know that people can be unjust? They can do wicked things. We do not have to be victims of that wickedness. Forgiveness shows that we can overcome 
discouragement, we can overcome depression, anxiety, unhealthy anger, and all of the emotional stumbling blocks that come our way due to being hurt by somebody that has taken advantage or has said bad things or done bad things. Forgiveness stops the inner thoughts of accusation and judgment, not only against self, but against the other person. Literally, it defeats shame and its symptoms. This is the thing that I have found out about unforgiveness, is unforgiveness, after a while, will take and, and change its target. At first, it will be about the offender. Mm, I'm mad at you. I hold this against you. You hang on to that, and bitterness will begin to turn that towards you. Now you'll begin to walk in shame. You know what shame is? Shame is something that tells you that you're something that you're not. So how do you know that? Adam and Eve, the first thing that happened when they sinned, they found themselves to be ashamed. They hid. They were naked. They were vulnerable and ashamed. So they hid themselves from God. In other words, they felt the disconnection. In other words, what happened is sin was now informing them something about themselves that was not what God had created. And they felt shame. That's what unforgiveness does, is it begins to produce a shame that will begin to work against your mind and tell you, you're really no good. You deserved it. You're really a failure. See, if you were better, you wouldn't allowed that to happen. You're not a good wife, or you're not a good husband, or you're not a good son, or you're not a good employee, or whatever, or whatever it is you're hanging on to. It will begin to inform you. It, it will begin to work on your value and your self-esteem. See, forgiveness reverses low self-esteem and insecurity. And once we begin to forgive, we start to live like who we were created to live. See, forgiveness will heal you and allow you to move on in life with great meaning and purpose. Forgiveness means that we choose to release the hurt, the wound, the resentment, the bitterness, and the desire for revenge. And in forgiving, we decide to break our troubling connection with the offender. Do you realize as long as you remain unforgiving, you are forever connected to the one that offended you? Oftentimes it is said, well, the reason I'm not forgiving is because they don't deserve it. And we'll talk about that here more in a minute. They don't deserve it. They may not. And so that unforgiveness gives us purpose for our pain, Right? But I'm telling you, what happens is that unforgiveness is keeping you attached to both the event and the individual. That individual may live on the other side of the planet, but because of unforgiveness, they still have control in your life. They're not even doing, they don't even know. They may not even know that they've offended you or hurt you or wounded you. But now because of that, because through unforgiveness, the thoughts and the replay of what has happened now informs your life. And unwittingly, 
that event and the offender remain in control. And they don't even know it. But your unforgiveness is doing nothing to them. It's not hurting them. It's not hindering them. It's not making them pay a price. You are the victim again because of the unforgiveness. In forgiving, we decide to break our hold to the con- uh, uh, in the connection to the offender. We realize that no offense is worth the price of destroying our peace. My peace is too valuable to hold on being offended at you. We forgive because we realize that getting even does not heal. It just hurts us deeper. So forgiving is a choice that does not depend on the offenders deserving it, asking it, or even repenting. It's a choice. I choose to forgive. One man said it this way. He says, the miracle of forgiving is the creation of a new beginning. It does not always take away the hurt. It does not deny the past injury. It merely refuses to let them stand in the way of a new start. That's what forgiving does. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. That's something we cannot overlook, church. Pursue peace with all people. What is he saying? Hey, it ain't worth it. And I know, I've, I've taught this many times before. I, I actually teach a class in Jacob's Ladder. It's called Taking the Fire Out of Anger. And it's all about forgiveness. Because oftentimes, anger that rises up and is a problem in people's lives is being fueled by unforgiveness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so what happens is we begin to understand that this bitterness, this unforgiveness, he calls it a root. And the reason he calls it a root is because it travels through the soil of your life, all of it. And it will affect every area of your life. And as I consider the abundance of issues that can often work just under the surface of our lives, I have found that there is none as crippling and as paralyzing as bitterness and unforgiveness. It affects the old, the young, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, because it is a part of the human condition. Are you hearing me? So I want to take just a few moments, if I can, and I want to look at what this universal problem really is. See, bitterness is a root that grows out of anger that is fueled by resentment sown in the soil of hurt. That's what bitterness and unforgiveness is. Bitterness will destroy you spiritually. You say, why is that? Because it's impossible to be wrong with man and right with God. At the same time, you can't. Can't do it. Bitterness will devastate you physically because bitterness is like a constantly running machine. It produces stress and anxiety, and it causes you to stress out emotionally that works on your body. It will damage you emotionally. Bitterness will divide your faith. 
It will make you question God's faithfulness. It'll make you question what you believe. Bitterness will defile your relationships. It will isolate you and isolate you towards everyone else. See, what it does is it will move into a place where you can no longer trust. You can't trust. So you can't be around people, so your relationships at best will be superficial. Bitterness will deprive you of a blessing because the very grace of God is hindered by bitterness. And I'm going to show you this. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this out here in just a moment. And if, ever, if, if we will ever break free from the cycle of bitterness, then we have to learn that forgiveness is the only way out. Now, I want you to look at a powerful portion of Scripture, and I'm going to tell you the story, but I'm not going to read the whole story because it's just too much Scripture. But it start, it, th- this portion is in Matthew 18, verse 32 and 35. It says, Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you, not go, uh, should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also uh, do to uh, you if each, of, uh, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. That's a tough scripture, folks. That's something that oftentimes gets overlooked. But here's the point. This is what happened. Peter comes to Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus, how many times do I really got to forgive my brother? Seven times? You know, Peter's kind of being spiritual here. He's, you know, seven is the perfect number. And he's thinking, man, I'm, you know, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to forgive my brother seven times. Because I'm certain he's probably got a beef with one of the other disciples, right? Something's going on. They've kind of bumped heads. Maybe it was, you know, the sons of thunder that, you know, wanted, you know, the, they wanted the position on the right hand and left hand, and uh, they're all mad, and who knows? And so Peter comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, not seven times, but seven times 70. Now, is he saying 490 times? So, therefore, on your 491st time, you could go, I'm done forgiving. No, he's saying as often as necessary, Right? Then Jesus begins to tell Peter a story. He said there was a man that had a great debt. In fact, he owed so much money to this king that in his lifetime, there was not enough time in a full lifetime for him to ever pay it all back. It was too great. Well, the king decides to call in his debts and make a count. And so he calls this servant before him and says, hey, you owe me all this money. I want it. And if you don't pay, I'm going to put you and your family into prison, debtor's prison, until every penny is paid. And the man falls down and he says, please have mercy on me. I will do my very best to pay this back, but please have mercy. And then the king says this, go your way. I forgive you of your debt. And so the man goes his way, but then what happens is he finds a guy, another guy in his life that owed him five bucks. And he says, I want my $5. You need to come and you need to give me my $5. And the man says, look, I don't have it, but be patient with me. Please have mercy and I will pay everything back. And the man says, nope, I want it now. And if you don't do it, I'm throwing you and your kids and wife in debtor's prison until every penny is paid. And he did it. Well, some of the other servants of the king saw this go down, and so they go back to the king, and the king says, you bring him to me, and that's where that verse is. He called him. He said, you wicked servant. He says, I forgave you of something you would never be able to pay. 
But then you go out and a guy owed you five bucks and you won't even forgive one. Don't you think you should have extended the same grace? But here's the thing I want you to notice. It says, and his master was angry and he delivered him to the tormentors. Unforgiveness brings on the tormentors. When you insist on holding on to bitterness and walking in unforgiveness, it opens the door for torment. You give license to the devil to torment your mind and your spirit. That's why our peace is robbed sometimes. That's why things happen. See, when we talk about this, and I know that I've kind of, it's been kind of a little bit of a hodgepodge because there's a lot of information here. There's, this, this is probably like three or four sermons that I could have preached. But when you look at this and you go, wait a second, why is this unforgiveness affecting me? Because you have opened the door. The unforgiveness unlocks the door for the tormentors to come in and torment you. They lie to you, they harass you, they, they accuse you, they, they stand against you, they torment you. That's their job because you're hanging on. And as long as you hang on to the unforgiveness, then guess what? You will be tormented, you will be hindered in your relationship. Look at 2 Corinthians <laughs> chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Look at, so there's like two things here. One thing is he's telling us we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. In other words, God has done reconnaissance for us. He has shown us the weapons of his warfare. He's shown us. He said, look, this is how the devil fights. And he says, one of the ways that the devil should take advantage of you is by walking in unforgiveness. He says, we forgive so the devil can't take advantage of us. Unforgiveness gives the devil an advantage. Look at Luke 17, 3 through 5. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you and says, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to, said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> it was a tall order, wasn't it? Why is Jesus putting so much emphasis on this issue of forgiveness? Because he understands the power of unforgiveness. He understands what it does. For, for, let me just clarify this one thing and then I'll move on. It, please, do not think for a moment that I'm saying that God is up in heaven as a maniacal, mean-hearted despot that's looking down, waiting to punish those that are unforgiving. It is not that. There is a loving Father in heaven that understands the power of unforgiveness. So he comes to us in no uncertain terms and says, look it, guys, if you do anything, do this. Because if you don't, it'll open the door to the tormentors, 
the devil will have an advantage over you because all of these things work towards that. So he comes to us and he says, you need to forgive. And then now in this, in this verse, he says, how many times should I forgive? And he uh, I'm sorry, he says, um, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven in times in a day says, I repent, forgive him. It's not worth it to keep track. That's the point. You've done this to me one too many times. See, I've determined, and I, and I know, church, I, I understand when I say things from this pulpit that I end up getting tested on it. But this is something that, that I've spent a lot of years praying through. But I've determined in my heart that, you know what, at the end of the day, I don't care how many times you do it. I don't care. I'm going to forgive you. Now, what I do is I will put up boundaries to protect myself. I won't always allow you to have uh, access to my life to hurt me. So I'll put up boundaries and guardrails and different things, but I am not going to walk in unforgiveness. I'm just not. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to believe God for you. I'm going to do this. This is not a suggestion, but it's a command with deep consequences and an exceedingly incredible benefit. So let me ask, I'm going to jump down just here real quick. So let me, I want, I want to kind of bring this to, to an end here uh, quickly. So the question is, and I, don't, don't answer, I'm, I'll answer the question. What is forgiveness? So let's, let's talk about this. Forgiveness is when we choose to release. It, it ultimately, at the end of the day, forgiveness is about release. When you think about it, you think about the fact that in the, in the text that Jesus or in the story that Jesus tells Peter, goes to great lengths, the context was of a debt being forgiven. In fact, even today in our economy, in the world of economics, if you go to a bank, in a bank, they'll use the word, if they, like if they pay off your loan, they have forgiven your debt. Because that word means released. You are released from obligation. So when I forgive you, I am releasing you from any obligation. You owe me nothing. In the Bible, the Greek and Hebrew uses different words to convey the concept of forgiveness. One is to blot out. Another one is literally to carry, to lift and carry away or to release from debt. That's what we're doing is we're releasing. In other words, See, when somebody does something, when they hurt me, they owe me. Amen? I'm, I'm going to get, we make this statement, I'm going to get even. What does that mean? Books aren't balanced, right? It means I'm in a deficit. It means you owe me something. You did this to me, so I'm going to get even. I'm going to balance the books. Well, there's a quick way to balance the books. Release the debt. Just say, I let it go. You don't owe me nothing. I don't hold this to your account. In their book, uh, Forgive and Love Again, um, John Nagger and Thomas Thompson, they pointed out 75 different word pictures of forgiveness. And I wasn't going to list all 75. I just wanted to list a few of them. But this is what they put down. It says, to forgive is to turn the key, open the cell door, and let the prisoner walk free. 
To forgive is to write in large letters across the debt, owe nothing. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far that it can never be found again. To forgive is to loose the moorings of a ship and release it into the open sea. To forgive is to relax a stranglehold on a wrestling opponent. (coughs) Are you understanding that picture? That's what he's doing. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so it can never be put back together again. See, we need to think of ourselves as a banker. We're a banker. And in your hand, you hold the note detailing a huge debt. And it may be legitimate. See, one of the things that you need to understand is I'm talking about things that have been legitimately hurtful, legitimately wicked, legitimately abusive. They really did hurt you. Their words really did penetrate. It cut your heart up. They abandoned you. They abused you. They neglected you. They spoke ill of you. And they do owe you a debt. But by and large, you may never collect. Not unless that person comes and says, hey, you need to forgive me. And if they do that, then praise God, you can repair a relationship. But if that day never comes, you cannot wait. What you have to do is say, you know what, God, I do not hold it to their charge. So let's look quickly at a few things that block forgiveness. There's a few misconceptions, maybe even fears that block us. It's belief systems, it's mindsets that, that hinder us. One says forgiving means, this is, a, this is a lie that we believe. Forgiving means I'm condoning the behavior of the person that offended me. In no way does that what it mean. It, no way does that mean that. Forgiving means forgetting. You know, you gotta forgive, forgive and forget. <clears throat> the, there's only one that I know that can forget something like that, and that's God. I think that, that forgiving and forgetting has probably hindered more people. It's like, well, you know, I just can't forget that. You probably won't. But you can learn a wonderful lesson from it, especially if you release the debt. Forgiving will make the offender think their actions didn't hurt. Maybe. That's a risk we have to take. But ultimately, in the end, it sets us free. Some people believe without anger, I'll be vulnerable. If I, don't, if I don't hang on to this, then I will be susceptible to more attack. Forgiving risks me, being, me looking weak. I've thought that. There's been people that have done things, and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to forgive them. Because if I forgive them, it makes me look weak. <clears throat> Forgiving means I lose my purpose. I've met people. I know people that their whole purpose in life is to hang on to the bitterness. That is what they live for now. I've had family members that have lived into their 80s still talking about what their sister did when they were four. 76 years later, hanging on, and it gave them purpose. Forgiveness means that I have to completely reconcile and now extend trust. It does not mean that. Then the belief that certain acts are unforgivable. There is no act that is unforgivable. 
The only way that we believe certain acts are unforgivable is if we have a false understanding of what forgiveness is. Some people believe the offender is bad and therefore deserving of my animosity. They deserve what they're getting. Maybe, but you don't deserve what you're getting. Revenge will restore my peace. Simply not true. So how do we forgive? Surprisingly, forgiveness, though it is a long process at times, depending on the offense, and though it can be slow, is relatively easy to understand. Forgiving is a choice, like I said, that does not depend on the offenders deserving it, asking for it, or expressing remorse, but forgiveness requires first and foremost a commitment to change. It's a commitment to change the way you think. See, I, there was a circumstance in my life several years ago that, that transpired that wounded me very deeply. And I remember as I was going through that time, I was confronted with, because I had been teaching this in Jacob's Ladder, and I've preached sermons on it, and so I'm confronted with my own message. And I remember I had to come to terms with thinking differently. I had to look at the information differently. I had to commit to having a different perspective. What was always helpful to me was rather than seeing my offender as an offender, I saw them as a victim. I saw them that they too were under attack. They too were being led down a road that was destructive. They too were being tormented by the devil. And that, in fact, what they did was really a response to that. And somehow I fell in the way. When I begin to look at that and begin to realize, wait a second, this isn't about me. This is about them. It changed how I saw the situation. So I had to commit to changing the way I viewed what was going on. And then secondly, I had to make a decision to release and I had to understand that that was not going to be just a one-time event, but that I would have to release over and over and over again. Because in the beginning days of release, I found it very unique that I would release, but within five minutes, I had it back in my hand. I would release, and then all of a sudden, I would have it back. And then I would release, and I'd have it back. And I would release, and I had it back. So I had to be committed to the decision to let go. And finally, I had to discipline myself to pray for the offender. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 44 says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you. And pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you. That is the antidote for unforgiveness. I have found over and over and over again in my life from things that have been minor in nature, simply very just blips on a radar to massive things that have literally shook me to my core that that right there praying sets me free. 
Every day, you know, I've told you this before in church services, my wife and I do communion every day. And in our communion prayer, that verse, we quote that verse, and then we go down, we pray for them that hate us. We pray and we bless them. We name them and we pray and we say, bless so-and-so, bless this, bless. With those that have cursed us, we pray for them. Those that's despitefully used us and wounded us and hurt us. And we release them and then we pray. At the end of that, we say, God, if there is any, any inkling of unforgiveness or bitterness, reveal it to us now. Show us our heart. And from time to time, he does. From time to time, he'll put something in front of me, and I'll go, whoa, better be praying about that. I remember, and I'm going to close with this here because we're coming to the end. I remember um, probably about a year or so ago, there was somebody that was in my family's life that, that ended up hurting us, and things had happened, and, and re- really, I was kind of more on the fringes of that. It was more people in my family that got hurt, but ultimately... You know, it bothered me because it's hurting my family. <clears throat> and time went by, and I had prayed about it and, and, and forgave and, you know, did everything that I'm telling you. And, and I thought it was pretty much over. But I always prayed, God, show me. Well, I happened to walk into another church in town, and that person that done that was walking up the aisle as I'm walking down. And I felt everything inside of me go cold, And my stomach and my throat crunch up, and I wanted to punch them in the face. I turned around, got my wife, walked into the hallway where we were private, and I said, we got some praying to do, dear. Because at that very moment, I knew that 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 was still alive in me. This is how I determine. Oftentimes, people will say say this to me. They'll say things like this to me. Oh, that don't bother me anymore. Why are you talking about it? Things that don't bother you, you don't talk about. It is bothering you. Why does it have your attention? So if I'm driving down the road and I find myself drifting to a person or an event that has happened that's hurt me, I now know that I have work to do in prayer. That I have to go back and I have to release and let go and forgive and do that work because I do not want anything in my heart that potentially could separate me from God. It is hard enough on my own to connect with God without all that business. Can you say amen? I want him in my life. You know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about stuff in our church. You know, we, we pray, we do, you know, breakthrough-style ministry, we do supernatural stuff, we believe in God for healing and all this stuff, and we talk about revival, and all of those things are valid and good. But church, if we have a problem here, that will stymie it. It'll shut it down. It'll shut it down in you. We need to work on that. And so what I do is I stay very open So if I'm driving down the road, even people, like, I'll I'll tell you one other thing and then I'll shut up. I was, I was going, I took my wife to Safeway and normally like when we're just getting one or two things, she'll run in, I'll sit in the car and I'm, I'll drive around the parking lot and I, I drove around the parking lot and as I was driving around the parking lot, I saw a sticker that was advertising a particular place and immediately I went, I'm thinking it's a business. 
And God said, you need to forgive. And I'm going, I'm thinking, why? So I'm praying about it. I'm saying, okay, God, how do I hold unforgiveness towards a business? It's inanimate. It's not a person. All of that, it's a business. He said, it ain't about the business. That business represents something to you that has offended you and affected you and is now informing you of why you aren't who you're supposed to be. You have ought. You need to let it go. Let it go, Frozen. I'm not going to sing the song. You have to let it go. And so I pay attention to this, and this is something that I have worked on a lot in my life. I, even tonight, we were out, Pastor Alex and I were talking in the office, and something was brought up, and I was like, and I looked at him, and I went, well, got to go prayer room. <laughs> I have to do some business in prayer. It's the only way you can do it. You have to commit to see it differently. You have to commit to release and let it go, and you need to discipline yourself to pray for the person or the event so you release it. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads real quick? Father, we just thank you so much, God, for this time, this Bible study. We thank you, God, that you have instructed us in righteousness. Lord, we ask that you help us, encourage us. Father, if there is anything in our heart, God, that we're hanging on to, would you reveal it to us, God, that we can let it go? Lord, that we can release it to you. <coughs> we can give it over to you, Lord, so that we don't have to carry that and be offended by that. And Father, we give you glory and we give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, I'm going to do a message. I'm going to talk about brotherly love. And once again, I, I, I want you to come be a part of this because these are things that oftentimes don't get preached, but they are so fundamental to the foundation of who we are as Christians. Can you say amen? So I will see you next week. God bless you. You guys have a great day. <clears throat> Hopefully it'll be warmer. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.